Hello and welcome to the Max Communications 2021 podcast, a series of podcasts where we explore various archives and collections. My name is Faith Williams and I'm joined today by Charles Hind, Chief Curator for the Royal Institute of British Architects. Hi Charles, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about how you came into your role nowadays? Um, morning Faith. Um, well, I joined the RIBA back in 1996, so I'm heading for my 25 years, um, originally as curator of drawings, and I now combine that role with um, that of chief curator, which gives me an oversight over um, the collections that we have, dealing with drawings, books, photographs, um, archives and manuscripts, and such like. Um, I came to the role originally rather circuitously. Um, I trained originally at History University. I then uh, became a librarian and then had a bit of a career change, went and worked for an auction house, Sotheby's, with responsibility, amongst other things, uh, for their architectural drawing sales, which back in the 80s were an annual event. And uh, architecture has always been a passion, although not to be an architect, but architectural history was what interested me. And then I became an architectural editor on a dictionary of art. And then in uh, 1996, I took another slight turn uh, in the career path and joined the RIBA as creative drawings. So how do you spend an average day at the moment? It must have changed over the years, especially over the past year. Yes, um, the, the biggest difference has been that we don't have access to our collections, um, which are housed in various locations in our headquarters building in Portland Place and uh, the VNA, uh, where we have a partnership with the, the museum, and then we have outstores and so on. But um, yes, not having access to your collections is a major problem if you're a museum curator. But, um, well, there are, of course, a lot of meetings. Um, there's also, I think what has changed is that uh, although we always um, have dealt with queries, um, we have to be rather more creative in how we answer them because it's not necessarily, you, know, you can't go to look at the drawings if somebody um, uh, wants a piece of information and just sort of you know, take a snapshot or supply them with images or whatever. Um, so we have to try and find so research, if you like, uh, that we're doing to help other people is um, perhaps going into more depth than we would otherwise have done. It's, it's harder to point people in the right direction if we're the only people who've got the information stashed away somewhere. So what type of material do you have? It's quite a broad collection. Yes, I think the, the easiest way to sum it up is to say that potentially the collections contain anything that interests architects. So um, it isn't just the design process that produces a building, drawings, models, and so on, in digital and analog form. There are a lot of other things uh, that come under the architecture umbrella. Um, we have um, major archives, which are partly the archives of the Institute as a professional body, because the RIBA is 
um, a membership organization. Um, we have a manuscripts collection, which is or everything else. So that includes um, the uh, material generated by a practice in terms of you know, letters and correspondence and job files and so on. Uh, we have architects' private papers, uh, letters, and um, I suppose one of our biggest is the correspondence of something like 6,000 letters between Edwin Lutyens and his wife. Um, and since they spend most of their married life apart, um, that's an incredibly important resource for um, the life of the most significant British architect of the first half of the 20th century. Um, then there's also papers of architectural historians and, and other people less directly connected with the design process than architects. Um, we have about one and a half million photographs from the uh, 1840s up to the present day, um, which cover architecture worldwide um, and which um, generates a lot of contact content for our image database, um, which is www.readthepics.com. Um, books, rare books and journals um, from the 15th century to the present day, which is housed in our main headquarters building in uh, Portland Place. And then there's all sorts of weird and wonderful things, um, ranging from um, portraits from the 1620s um, and uh, which is sculptor, painted and so on, uh, medals, coins from antiquity. Um, there was a Victorian architect, Thomas Leverton Donaldson, who collected coins that depicted buildings that no longer exist, which includes some unique um, ancient Greek coins um, depicting lost buildings. Um, personal possessions, um, the Arts and Crafts architect Charles Voisey, whose archive we have, now also includes things like his umbrella, his letter opener, and his key ring, all designed by himself. Um, furniture, um, the desk of Charles Holden, who was the uh, architect who was responsible for most of the um, uh, tube stations on the London Underground built between the wars, um, and so on. So. Um, it's, it's a very wide ranging collection. So a lot of that material will intersect with other um, interests. Who do you, who accesses the collection? Who do you get inquiries from? Um, very wide range of people. Um, uh, scholars, historians, uh, students um, uh, are the main users of our study room. Um, but we get inquiries from all over the world. Um, family historians, um, you know, grandpa was an architect and we'd like to know a bit more about his um, life or his, his work, his buildings. Um, people who are interested in particular buildings, they might be interested in their local church or um, the house they live in or something like that. Um, architects, uh, it's interesting how that's changed over my years because uh, when I first arrived, architects almost never used the collections. Uh, books and journals, yes, but they hardly ever used the rest of the collections. Now they're quite a significant proportion um, because they're using them for um, sometimes for inspiration. Um, 
often they're working on buildings for which we have drawings and they need to know information that they can't find elsewhere. Purely practical, things like um, where the drains go. Um, there are lots of stories connected with drains, I can tell you, from the 18th century onwards. Um, Conserve people involved in uh, conservation, so um, uh, conservation officers, local authority conservation officers, planners, and, and so on. Um, and education groups are important. Now we have a very good learning team um, dealing with um, school children, but we get uh, student groups, adult education groups, and so on coming in. Um, curators use the collection when they're working on loan exhibitions, and we lend worldwide. Um, and then you get people with a, a just a one-off interest. Um, for example, we had somebody who's writing a novel set in a Victorian country house, and she wanted to know the exact layout of the servants' quarters, which often in a major country house were bigger than the main house, so that she could plot the story using these um, this rabbit warren of rooms that you would have found in a Victorian country house. So you can never really predict, uh, and it's often interesting if you're on the desk to just go and talk to the reeds and say, why are you looking at this? And you often get an unexpected answer. Sounds like every day is different then. Oh, absolutely. How did your partnership with uh, the Victorian Albert come about then? Is that because Prince Albert was a fan of architecture or is there another reason for hosting your part of your collection there? Well, the... RIBA kept on moving buildings because the collections kept on growing and then they in 1934 they moved into their present HQ and after that they said right enough's enough so when the drawings collection grew too big for that building it moved into a leased building um, and when that lease uh, was expiring um, we looked around to see what the next solution should be and the VNA was uh, an obvious partner because uh, the interests of the museum and its collections overlap very much uh, with our own. Um, and uh, we got substantial funding from the Heritage Lottery Fund, uh, as it then was, which uh, is very keen on partnerships. And um, the museum had discovered that they were not doing as much, they're very focused on um, working with the design professions. And they felt that the that architecture was the one profession that they perhaps weren't doing as much for as they should. So a partnership with us was logical for them. And um, we have there a study room and we um, find often that collections are split between us and the museum. So if you want to look at uh, the work of certain architects, uh, you would have had to go to two completely separate institutions and separate buildings to look at perhaps designs for the same building. And um, by walking from one room through an arch into the next one, uh, or even laying them all out together, you can see everything in one place. And for us, uh, it enabled us to work with the, uh, to, to have a permanent architecture gallery, uh, temporary exhibitions and so on, and um, to raise our standards to what is expected of a 21st century um, museum. So really positive partnership on both sides then. Oh, very much so. Do you have any 
problems with the fact that some of your collection is in Portland place um, and some of it is at the Victoria and Albert. Does that confuse some people? Well, it confuses people as to who owns what. Um, not that it really matters um, tremendously, um, as long as they can get access to it. Um, the, uh, in, in some senses, the situation is even worse because it's not just two sites, because we actually have a very large um, outstore uh, in Fulham, um, which is where most of our acquisitions now goes. Uh, that also has its own um, little study room. And um, you just have to try and um, correct people's misapprehensions when they say, oh, I want to look at your stuff in, or I want to look at the VNA RIBA collections or whatever. You just say, it's the RIBA stuff, but don't worry, yes, we can show it to you. Um, occasionally there is confusion when they want to look at material that belongs to the VNA, and they're adamant that we have it, and we say, no, 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 we don't. But anyway, we work well and closely with our VNA colleagues, so we sort all that out. And the, the key thing is that people are able to see what they want to see um, uh, at an you know, inconvenient place. What are your hopes for the future of the archive? Are there any projects in the work, or is there an audience that you particularly want to target? I think a very important part of our remit is, um, which goes back to our old Royal Charter, which dates from 1838, uh, which is to encourage uh, interest in and knowledge of civil architecture. And I think that that is something that is, should be and is interpreted very widely. Um, I think that Architecture is the one art form you can't get away from. Uh, you, you live in it, you work in it, um, you see it all around you. And I think that if more people could understand why buildings look the way they do, um, we will end up with architecture that people enjoy living in, working in, and so on. Um, and obviously, what the one effect of the pandemic is that people uh, probably increasingly we were working from home, and, and homes were not designed as offices for the most part. Um, and so, change is going is change is bound to come. And I think that an informed public, um, knowing what has gone before and what is possible in the future, um, will produce architecture that people will enjoy. It's interesting you say that because I think that there is an increasing awareness of how, as you say, architecture shapes us. We don't necessarily shape it. I know the Wellcome Trust has, has touched on that in a few exhibitions about how drains again and the shape of buildings, uh, communal spaces, things like that really affect human nature. Mm -hmm. But there's a, a sort of practical case of how the past can inform the present. Um, the, gr the greatest collection within um, the RIBA is that of the Renaissance architect Andrea Palladio, um, who is arguably the most influential architect in, in history. And the, we have many, uh, we have 
85% um, of his surviving drawings. And um, that's a project, uh, a cataloging project that we're currently working on uh, to produce um, a, a highly detailed uh, catalog. But what's interesting about him, you say, well, what's the relevance of a Renaissance architect to the 21st century? Um, and you will still find architects who don't use classical architecture in any way, shape or form in their work, but they will still look at Palladio for things like proportions and so on, because rooms, spaces, which are proportional, are spaces that people enjoy. They don't realize quite often why they will enjoy one space more than another. But if you analyze it, it often comes down to something that is a human scale, or even, even when it's vast, it can still be uh, something that people can relate to. And, the, and Palladio, more than uh, any architect really, started that study of uh, spaces uh, in his villas and, and churches. And that's why they're so often visited and people find them very satisfying today. But you can use his ideas in a, you know, in a modern flat, uh, a modern office block or whatever, and people will still enjoy them. And I say architects who would never dream of using a classical molding or a column or an arch or anything like that, um, can still and do find something um, from a 500 year old um, architectural idea. And those sort of things that they can find in our collections. Are you still adding to the collection then? We are. Um, two uh, major recent uh, additions is the archive of um, Colin St. John Wilson and his uh, wife, MJ Long. He was architect most famously of the British Library. Um, and uh, the archive of, of him and his wife, um, who also practice independently, have come in and we've got a cataloging project underway um, uh, listing uh, all that. Um, and unfortunately, a victim of the um, pandemic, um, there's another practice, uh, Dixon Jones, which has just uh, come in to us. Um, and uh, we were sort of packing that up uh, a few weeks ago. What is your favourite item in the collection just what appeals to you personally you've mentioned so many wonderful things that you have but is there something that you come back to time and time again well it's a bit quirky um but we have a fragment of the coffin of sir christopher wren which was in inverted commas liberated uh, <laughs> from his vault in st paul's cathedral in the 1850s, when it was opened for the last time for a um, descendant to be to be buried, and a verger picked it up, and we only sort of finally worked out the history relatively recently. But the verger uh, took it home, and uh, the house that he, in which he lodged also housed an architecture student, and he gave it to the architecture student. Um, whose son bequeathed it to the RIBA in 1940. Now, this might sound sort of a bit weird, but this covers so many different areas. Wren is one of our greatest architects. Um, the uh, fact that this um, 
fragment was given to us in 1940 is significant because uh, St. Paul's um, became a symbol of um, uh, the continuity of British history uh, during the war and surviving the Blitz and so on. Um, it's a bit of social history because the, uh, it tells you about sort of funerals because just attached to this is, uh, there are a couple of gilded um, uh, nails uh, with some felt. Uh, this is the outer coffin, the inner coffin um, uh, was lead. Um, and, uh, but th the time that this was chiseled off and given to this architect in the 1850s was a time in which Wren, whose reputation had, um, collapsed after his death in, 17, um, in 1725, 1723, was um, just beginning to rise. And in the 1840s, there came a recognition that he was a great architect. And throughout the second half of the 19th century, the Wren revival gathered strength, which is why you have so many high street banks, for example, which look like 17th century buildings, because that was represented the solidity and sturdiness, the perceived solidity and sturdiness of you know, English architecture and so on. So Wren became a great symbol. Um, and uh, you can see why an architect would have been. So this was a sort of little relic in a way. Um, and uh, as I say, it came to the RBA in a significant time, then sort of locked away in a safe. Uh, and I have, to say, I have to say it was rather forgotten about in the 60s and 70s until it reappeared. Um, in the 90s. Um, and uh, so it's quirky, but that's my favorite object. Oh, interesting choice. As you say, maybe uh, liberated is quite a generous description of how it came into your collection, but it's here now. Exactly. And thank you so much for talking to me today, Charles, about your collection and how much work you do to open it up to the public, because obviously, it's the Institute's own collection. They don't have to do that, but it's wonderful that you do. Well, as a, we say we're a private collection in a sense, but with a de facto um, national collections. And we're working to make the collections much more accessible to online audiences, particularly through these difficult times, um, partly to complement our exhibition programme in normal times. Um, but. We have a website, www.architecture.com, um, or you can follow the hashtag RIBA collections on social media to find out what is going on with our collections. Fantastic, Charles. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you.